to the truth in this art. We're here in the Big Easy, and I'm Rob Lee, and I'm, I'm, I'm the Big Easy. I actually recorded that, I actually put that on here. Um, and I'm excited for my next interview um, here at the um, New Orleans School of Ballet. Whoever thought I would be here? Whoever thought it? Um, my next guest is a mover, a maker, and a mentor, uh, fascinated by the medium of dance. Uh, she has further developed her performance in choreography, choreographic artistry in the greater New Orleans area. Her choreography has been performed in various venues and is a participant in the pilot program Moving Towards Justice, uh, open workshop at the at Gibney Dance. Please welcome Lauren Ashley Messina. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Rob. Thank you for coming on. I'm just, just, just jazzed to have you here. We made, we made this happen. You know, you know, the time zones weren't letting us be great yep. for one. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm on a flight. What's the time? And when I got off, it just everything flipped. I was like, Oh no! <laughs> so I'm glad we're able to do this. And um, so I, I want to start off with one of these sort of um, introductory questions. I think. A lot of how we go about creating, a lot of our inspirations come from us when we're very young. And we end up returning to it when we're an adult. Like, maybe it's some of our interests, like some people were maybe interested in shoes and mm-hmm. they couldn't afford Jordans, but they would see them in like East Bay, which mm-hmm. is going out of business soon. And, um, but really tap into it and it's like, I draw or I paint in the Jordan colorways because that's an inspiration growing yeah. up. So, you know, could you tell us some of your early creative interests and ultimately, how did you get started in, in dance? Okay, that's such a great question. Um, I think early creative interests for me were I love to write. Sure. I love to uh, write. I actually looked back recently at a folder I had from some poetry from when I was a kid. Yeah, um, yeah so I like to write a lot of poetry and read, rewrite stories that I read, make them different, that kind of thing. I got started in dance because I think I was dancing around the house a lot as a kid and um, my mom and dad thought okay you dance around the house you should just get into a dance lesson but um, they actually gave me these two books to start and said if you practice with these books first for a couple months or a couple years then um, we can put you into some dance lessons. Gotcha. So so you have that as sort of the the early level of, of interest and, you know, being like, hey, you know what, we want to help cultivate this from your, your parents' standpoint. And I remember that, like, when I was younger, I wanted to go into comics. So every year, it was like, here's your Christmas gifts, color pencils and drawing manuals. Okay. <laughs> here's some paper. So if, if you will, like, taking sort of that that interest and kind of polishing it to where you're at now through training, through experiences. Like I've read about training at, what is it, the Haley School and uh, Belhaven University. Talk about like sort of that training, that experience and how it influenced your style and approach to choreography. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So going to college at, right, at Belhaven University, um, I took uh, several different technique classes and performance classes and dance with two of the ensemble groups that they have there. Um, and it, they really treat it as like a small, it's like a per- small performance group, but one of the groups did some touring around the city and stuff like that, sure. around Jackson, Mississippi. And um, yeah, so it, it, those classes gave me like a foundation for this is what you can do with dance. and. Um, I guess the tools yeah. to then go in and discover. When I went to the Ailey School in New York City after 
was several years after Belhaven, but um, when I went there, then it was more, okay, I've graduated at this point. I've learned some things about dance. I'm still taking classes here at the Ailey School, but I was also really considering, like, how can I make this dance life fit what I want to do with creative stuff? <laughs> it's, it's, it's an interesting point. Thank you. Um, it's an interesting point when folks have a creative drive and having that sort of courage to create, courage to perform, because it, it takes a lot sometimes, I would imagine. <laughs> and um, and when folks realize, like, no, this is a lifestyle, this is multiple parts that go together, and sometimes they're, they're making moves. So and stepping back a little bit, you know, some of those early dance experiences, that early interest, Illinois. Mm -hmm. And then you mentioned New York and in Mississippi. I like how you slid New York in there mm -hmm. briefly. And we're recording this down in New Orleans. So ultimately, tell, tell us how you got here as far as within this, this dance lifestyle. Mm, okay. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have come here if I hadn't gone to Mississippi, that's for sure. True. And um, I eventually went back to Belhaven for graduate school. And then it was there that one of the instructors was... Um, a recent, a recent uh, graduate herself with her MFA in dance and was teaching one of the technique classes I had. And during the class, she was talking about coming down here to audition for a company. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I guess I, I had this kind of like trajectory that either people had kind of, I guess, instilled in me or I'd seen that after you, if you go the route of going to college for dance, then you're not going to be a professional dancer after that. Oh. I, I don't know why that was in my mind, but especially going to undergrad and then going to grad school is kind of like, once you go to grad school for dance, then you're going to go into academia or something like that. Gotcha. And so when I saw her doing, teaching these graduate classes and then getting ready to go audition for a company down here, I think my mind was kind of like, wait a minute. That's the question that I've always asked, but I never asked anybody and I never saw anybody really doing it, at least where I was. Yeah. And so... Um, that's how I found out about a company here called the Marini Opera Ballet, and that's kind of what led me to come here and audition. And um, I'm not a part of that group right now, but I was for five years, and that's kind of what got me here. Nice. Yeah. So, so if you will, could you speak a little bit about, since, since we're here in New Orleans, speak a little bit about sort of dance and ballet, choreography, that culture here? Like, I, I had an interview yes, uh, yesterday as to, take, to date it, and one of the quotes that came, of it, came out of it was, New Orleans is a dancing city. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I want to get, get your take on it from more of this sort of like looking at it from a fine art perspective, because that's what I kind of consider ballet in this, this space that we're in. We're in the studio currently. Mm -hmm. so, so talk about that from your vantage point, being a person who's moved into in this, this community and moved into the city and you know, being in various markets. So talk about like what you've experienced maybe comparatively between hmm. markets and like what the culture here is around like dance. I would agree with whoever said that. <laughs> it's definitely dancing city. Um, but it's funny because I didn't know I didn't know until I came here how much dance was here. Um, and there's a, there's a lot. And so I teach where we are at the New Orleans School of Ballet, um, and I have a, a wonderful opportunity to teach children's classes here under Nikki Hefko, the owner of this studio, and she was a former dancer herself, the Dance Theater of Harlem. There are a lot of, of people here that have professional experience from other places and have brought that to New Orleans, but also there's um, like a growing, not growing, but there's, there's roots in other, like there's a strong African dance background here, there's sure. uh, folkloric dance, there's um, 
like you could take dances in pretty much any style and there's people here who've been doing it for a long time yeah. and I, I often feel a little uncomfortable being here for only five years and then talking about per, per, my perspective on this space but this year especially I'm getting to feel more like the, I have an understanding of, of dance in New Orleans from my vantage point sure. and there's just a lot there's a lot here um, that I don't think that you see in a lot of other cities. We do have like concert dance and what people talk about as traditional professional dance like ballet and modern and contemporary, but really all these styles people are doing at as the quote unquote professional level. Like there's hip hop dance yeah. here, like a strong hip hop dance scene. Um, yeah. I'm gonna sashay out of here. Mm -hmm. uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So in, in talking about it and as you think about it, um, memorable performance or choreographic like piece that you created like what, what comes to mind like when you think about it say like, hmm that was a great experience or okay yeah that one left but we, we made it work talk about an experience that that you've had um from a, you know from a performance standpoint from a choreography standpoint that really sticks out for you um when i think about things i wrote this recently into a um a short story, it was a digital storytelling course, and I get crazy stage fright, right? And I just remember the first time I did a movie night, and I'm having the sort of internal dialogue of, you know, you're gonna fail, right? Mm -hmm. You know, this is gonna go like left, and then sort of the really positive, man, this is gonna be great, you can get a TV show out of this. Wow. <laughs> and it's like neither one of them are quite accurate, mm -hmm. so I'm somewhere in the middle, and I wanted to depict that in this sort of digital storytelling thing, but it's just funny that that particular situation, not a podcast, but that, you know, hosting an event stuck out for me. Hmm. So for you in your discipline in this dance lifestyle, what what has stuck out for you within your career? Hmm. There's been a lot of things kind of where I'm at right right now, this day that we're on. Um, <laughs> I'm working on a piece for Binge Dance Festival mm -hmm. um, that's being produced by Dow Dance Company. And again, it's like these are groups of people that I didn't know lived here, parts of the dance community that I hadn't, hadn't met yet. Um, but the piece that I'm working on now, the show is tomorrow. And um, I was telling a friend, I've come to this place, like I've been in this spot with creating dances multiple times where it, the piece hasn't taken on the life that I want it to or see in my mind but there's a part of me kind of like what you were saying that feels like I know it will because it always does right. but then there's another part of me that's like this in this state that it's in right now it's going to fail it's going to be on you you're going to let the dancers down um, so I think I've had multiple dances like that the first time that I experienced I guess like that weight of like you're making something and it you're making something and it has to be great or um yeah, that was, I created a piece called um, Hashtag Making of a Movement for my uh, thesis choreography for yeah. dance. And it was all about, it was in 2016, it was all about protest movements, kind of in response to the elections and mm -hmm. um, just what are these movements that we make with our bodies in protest? And then what does it mean to, to move our bodies in protest to things, but also just to be still and to stand our ground? Um, and that piece, I think left a mark on me and the way that I make dances and being able to tell a story with movement and with words and yeah. So would you like some, I, I know with, um, I've talked to chefs, I've talked to like, like artists and 
you know, some folks get, and I mentioned those two because some of them don't use the term. Like there are chefs, like, I don't use that word. Or artists that are like, nah, I'm not quite an artist yet. And it's like, mm-hmm. but you've been doing this for, I'm not quite an artist yet. Do you use other terms in it? Because the storytelling piece is interesting, like telling the story through dance. Do you ever like use, use that? And I'll, I'll say like, when people say, you know, to me, like you're a storyteller, it's like I'm facilitating. I'm wow. helping someone tell their story. Oh, wow. And yeah. it's like, I'm just a lowly podcaster, you know, I do that thing. <laughs> do you ever use storyteller as like, as, as part of the, the bio? You know, I actually don't. No, I, I really don't. And it's funny because I've heard dancers that do or choreographers that do or people who, yeah, I've read bios where people use interesting words to describe like mm-hmm. how they identify themselves. I've never thought storyteller. Movement storyteller. <laughs> Lauren Ashley Messina here. <laughs> Just throw it out there. Just, you know, just, I, I, I had a buddy. Um, he was a um, food blogger. And I was like, you're an Epicurean journalist. Ooh, he was like, mm. That's beautiful. He's like, I feel, I feel high. I'm another level now. <laughs> yeah, I never. Well, my um, Instagram handle that I've had for a long time is Meaning Maker Mover. And I feel like that for me is what I like to do with dance, like making meaning. It's even if it's abstract. So yeah. it's funny with the storytelling thing. I mean, and it's the three M's there. And you yeah, you can add a fourth with the last name. It's like, it's, hey, there you go, boom. True. So, so in, your, in your opinion, like, what are some of the key qualities or characteristics, that, in macroly speaking, like, you know, I think you can, be around, you can be in a specific, like, discipline, but be around other creatives, so having that sort of sense. What characteristics or qualities could an artist strive for to be successful in, in their careers? Like... Some people just go at it, just go hard, mm-hmm. and that can lead to burnout, right? And other people are just like, I'm going to do this and um, on occasion, and then folks are like, where is the next thing happening? Hmm. From, from your vantage point, like, and I, maybe it's different in dance, obviously, but from your vantage point, like, how do you, what does success look like within this sort of, like, dance lifestyle or in, in a general sense for artists and creatives? Hmm. I think if you asked me like two years ago, it would be much different than now. It's probably that way for everybody. But this year for me especially has been um, me finding like not my artistic voice, but just what I want like my artistic life to look like or just my life in general and how art fits into it. Um, I think a lot of that has been from becoming a mother and a parent and being a partner and how our family, what we want our family life to look like and sure. how that affects me. Um, so for me now, success feels a lot like what's important to me, what's a priority to me, what do I value? Those are the things that feel really important now uh, in like determining what success looks like in a piece. So with this piece I was mentioning, like it's not, I, don't, I do feel the weight of of measuring like the typical standards, like does it look good? How is it received? Is it there high praise? A lot of accolades and stuff. But more importantly, like I, I want the experience of creating this piece with other people to feel good, mm-hmm. for them to feel like they're in, in an environment where they can speak openly, yeah. um, you know, and where they can feel like we trust one another, we respect one another, and we care about each other. So, thank you, thank you. Um, it makes me. It makes me think. Brought up a question, like, because I'm almost free jazz right here in New Orleans. What can I say? 
So talk about your process a little bit, because I, I realize I didn't even mention that or ask about that. So, so talk about your process a bit, and in, in maybe in the this, this sort, of, sort of current project that's mm-hmm. coming up, and um, and ultimately, be what I what I really want to like kind of analyze and talk about a bit is the the sort of parts like what's something that's towards the beginning of that that process something that's in the middle and like when you can take that deep breath and like oh my god finally we're we're, <laughs> we're, we're here we're a show day or what was something towards the end as well when it comes to like really mapping out that process and what it looks like from your vantage point wow okay um something that's towards the beginning is Maybe it's this way for everybody, but that spark of inspiration, I come across something and I think, there could be a dance about this, or I hear a song and I'm like, I want to make a dance to this. Um, So I think that, like the idea, seeing something, it happens a lot now and we've been traveling a little bit, going different places um, as a family and... It's happened more that I'm sparked by conversations with like people every day on the street. Like someone will say something, and or they'll share a little bit about their story that's interesting. And it's not like I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to take that and make a dance about it. But it says something that sends me on like a oh, that's pathway to making something new. So there's like that spark of inspiration for sure. It's funny. I think the middle part for me is where I'm at now, where I, we've worked together to create something, and it's not quite in like a final form of whatever it will be when it's shown to sure. people. So I think the middle part is like the almost. You know, it's not yeah. quite ready. <laughs> um, and then you, it gets pushed on this stage before it's ready for people to see it. Um, but the end part is definitely looking back on having uh, created a dance that like lives on its own like once a dance is formed you know it's not it's not like you've created a film that will last forever in that same state it's you've created a dance that the people that see it in that moment will experience it as it is on stage live and then everyone else will maybe experience a recording which isn't the Mm. same um yeah, so I think the end stage is that. We've had, the, we've had this performance, we have this experience, and then I go home, people go home, we talk about what it was, but it will always just be kind of like a memory, sort of. I like that. And I think in this sort of content versus art conversation where you're just putting stuff out there and it's like, I record and so on. Mm-hmm. I like the sort of experiment side of thing. Like, like you can go into it, you can experience it, you can be there, you were a part of it. And this is going to sound maybe like maybe because of where we're at, but it's going to sound like there's a spirit kind of attached to it if mm-hmm. you're in that spot. Whereas when something is recorded, it's something that's lost. Yeah. I think, you know, you feel the creative energy when you're in a spot. You're like, people are really going for it. I feel the emotion. I feel the different things. And I got that from being in very, very, very intimate sort of like playhouses. And oh. it's like, oh, that's a performance right there. There's a multitude of things. There's um, obviously the dialogue, obviously the acting, but movement, dance, things of that nature that are in there that I wouldn't appreciate in the same way if this was filmed. And mm. at times... It's like, I can watch this and then go back to when I experienced it, when I was there. And it's mm-hmm. like, these hit different. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, I think so too. So when you're, when you're getting that sort of inspiration, and this comes to mind because um, I was telling you before we got started about this trip to New Orleans, I mean, mm-hmm. to, to, um, to Austin rather. And I just remember walking, right? And 
I came across this um, this this one uh, antique shop, and it had been there for like, let's say a hundred years, right? It was black owned, been in the family for like that long. Oh man! And I had no intention of going there, and I'm just like doing a walk. And when I'm there, it's 106 degrees, so it could have been a mirage. I don't know if it's <laughs> in the desert. Who knows? But I pull out like I keep like a notepad with me. And I jot down ideas, just illumination and thoughts that comes like this could be an interesting question. And one that comes to mind was um, there was something about there's magic and creativity. Mm. It's like that's the new form of magic. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I like this. So when you're coming up with or maybe getting hit with that sort of inspiration, do you pull out the phone? Do you keep a notepad on you? How do you how do you capture it? Yeah. Uh, I don't keep one notepad, but that's something that I'm going to take and I would like I would like to do. I have like a lot of notepads that are have a few pages that are used. Yeah. <laughs> um, I keep a lot of notes on the phone. I was actually thinking like the last couple of weeks how to become more organized with that because my notes are starting to get, they're not in folders. There's just like a lot of ideas that are kind of just thrown in there. But yeah, I keep a lot of notes, a lot of notes on the phone. Yeah, it's... um. Every now and again, you were touching on earlier, like finding this sort of like book of poetry or what have you. Mm -hmm. I, I remember like finding like I would have a joke book or even when I would do poetry or rap or what have you, or even writing down premises or like treatments. Mm -hmm. I would just have them and it's a stack of like partially used. It's like I only use five pages in yeah. here. It's like, <laughs> how can I just press these together? Mm -hmm. And you almost want to digitize them. It's like I need to yeah. declutter. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I have mine in a box now and it. They're just sitting in a box until I figure out that, like, what am I going to do? Consolidate into different folders. Yeah. So talk about, um, and we got a few more questions, like two more questions, actually, before we get to the rapid fire questions. Okay. Um, talk about, like, motivation and inspiration. Uh, like, how do you stay motivated and inspired when inevitably we come up to, to challenges? I was talking about Ganbate earlier, that whole idea. Mm -hmm. And, you know... Some people do the, and I know that I do it on occasion, sort of the never, the the, the, the negative self-talk mm -hmm. of like, you know, you're not supposed to be able to do this. You're not supposed to be in this spot. You're not supposed to have this opportunity or you're not good enough to talk to this person about their work. Who are you? Hmm. Those are things that kind of pop up and the fight and flight, you know, thing is activated. And it's like, I, just, I don't believe that. I'm going to yeah. fight that idea. So how do you like kind of stay inspired or stay motivated when faced with challenges or setbacks within your work? Wow. Um, it's hard sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I've found that the way I feel most motivated is when I'm motivating other people. So if I can put myself in a place where I'm like sharing good sharing good, you know, sharing good, uplifting, positive, um, or just like true, true things about friends and, um, speaking into other people's lives, like stuff that feels worth sharing yeah. that, that makes me feel really good and really motivated too. So sometimes like I do record, um, sometimes audio recordings, like little, whatever, little voice recordings on my sure. phone yeah. and just um, kind of journal that way because I haven't had to time, time to journal in a while or haven't made time. And those kind of recordings become motivating for me when I listen to them later. And they've turned into other little dances. They turned into, I mean, we just started making some short like YouTube dances. Um, yeah, so I think sharing with other people and helping to, not trying to motivate other people, but just helping put more good stuff out there yeah. makes me feel good too yeah that's 
it's it's the uh, it's that conversation that I'm always engaged in. It's the um, the how and the why. Hmm. It's like I know why I'm doing it. Sometimes the how people can get tripped up on that, yeah. but I know why I'm doing it. Being able to help people get their stories out there, and selfishly for myself to have interesting conversations with folks. Okay. And it's like I'm learning as much as the listener, mm-hmm. and and that is really great. And sometimes even having folks like, you know, earlier the storyteller thing, right? Having folks like, you know, I haven't really looked at what I do like that. Yeah. I'm going to add that. Yeah. And um, yeah, I remember early, early, early on, I, I had a guest on who was like, ah, I just make drinks. And I was like, yeah, there's an artisanal thing to this. Like you're an herbologist, you're doing a lot of different things and they're balanced. And what came out of it, it's, it's going to be really ridiculous. It was a, um, let's say, what is it? A, a CBD, um, Cranberry mojito. What? Called a Robley's joint. They're a mixologist. That's what they made. Wow. And it was like a Robley, the Robley joint. And I was like, <laughs> let's go. So that might be the actual first Robley. I'll tell you about that when we wrap up. Okay. Um, there's another Robley out there. Um, so this is the last real question, and it's it's almost kind of like sort of the culmination, right? Before we get to the rapid fire questions, um, what are some maybe one or two key lessons that you've learned throughout your career within, with respect to art, with respect to the artist's lifestyle, if you will, um, and how have these experience, like, experiences shaped your, your creative practice? Hmm. Can you say that one more time, just the first Absolutely. part? Okay. Yeah. Um, what are some of the key lessons that you've learned in your career that have kind of helped shape your creative practice now? Like, you know, going back, like, I learned never to do this, and now I don't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. So what are some of those those lessons that maybe one or two that you've learned um, throughout your career that have kind of, like, helped you in your, your artist's lifestyle now? Hmm. I'm definitely still learning stuff, things regarding, like, managing time, mm-hmm and managing how we use other people's time in rehearsal. So that was something I was thinking about yesterday. It's kind of an ongoing lesson of um, how I make dances, how much time it takes me to make something. Um, And sometimes it's hard to gauge that. So that's a current one. But um, I think I've learned that like my art that I make is not it's a part of me, but it's separate from me. And however it is received or whatever it becomes, isn't, it's not the extreme of both, both ends, um, whether it's well received or whether it's rejected by the world, they don't have an impact on me. It's not, it's not personal. Yeah. And I went through life for a long time feeling like everything was personal and being defensive about a lot of stuff. We're we're sensitive people. Yeah, Yeah. just like internally. (laughs) So I think that's been the biggest lesson. Like, And it's been freeing too, to be able to create stuff and experiment and try new things, not feeling like, oh, well, depending on how it's taken, if it's successful, then I'm a success. And if it's rejected, Mm -hmm. then I'm some terrible person that's never gonna make art again. (laughs) I I like that you said freeing there. Um, I've gotten to this sort of spot. I've been, like I was saying earlier, doing it for a very long time, but for you know the first 10 years I wasn't really caring about putting it out there for public consumption it was kind of like if people find it great mm. but now like purposefully and intentionally putting it out there and hey make sure you share this um, especially to like the guests you'd be surprised so many people they don't share the episode that they're on really? it's very weird 
but you know, now almost kind of taking like, all right, how many downloads did this one get? Hmm, I sucked in there, didn't I? And still kind of, you know, playing that mm-hmm. game. But the freeing component of it, I definitely agree. When you get to a spot of, you know, I stopped doing the whole what if, like by being down here, I had an interest in doing these interviews and interest in speaking with someone like you and saying, I want to do this. This mm-hmm. is what I want to do. And just kind of trusting that my, you know, curatorial eye and my interest. It's like, this is why this makes sense. Mm-hmm. And the why. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that is very freeing without thinking of how will people receive this, you yes. know, because I'm not making it for that purpose. Right. I know my why. Right. Yeah. That's huge. But yeah, I feel that. And then even things have come up, like having this opportunity to be here and talking on this podcast. It's like you were saying with the storyteller thing, there's like a lot of moments that I'm learning from other people, like as we have these conversations in this format and even just in, in passing, like it just leaves an impression on you of like, of change, of furthering your understanding, at least for me, of what my why is and stuff that I didn't even know or. So like these kinds of things, I'm like, man, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's going to be great to um, get that invitation to the choreo- choreography and the dance that's based on this podcast. It's just <laughs> <laughs> all of the dancers have microphones. It's like, so we have everyone in a suit and on stilts. Oh, okay. That's, <laughs> now I have ideas. <laughs> that's great. So, so Lauren, I got, I got um, a couple rapid fire questions for you. Um, remember, rapid fire, don't overthink them. Don't overthink them. Don't overthink them. Okay. Uh, so here's the first one. What is your hidden talent? What's my hidden talent? Oh. Can you juggle? No, I can't juggle. Okay. Can't, um, no. I don't think I have a hidden talent. Everyone has a hidden talent. I don't have a hidden talent. Okay, we'll skip that one. We'll skip that one. I have a talent of avoiding that question. That's the talent. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, I don't have a hidden talent. How many, uh, how many hours do you typically, how many hours of sleep do you typically get? Um, mm, now probably five to six, I guess. I've been on this hot streak of uh, creatives telling me, yeah, about four. I'm really? Saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought five to six was a small amount. I'm, I was getting six for a while. Um, I've been getting probably about eight and a half. Okay, that's recently. good. That's yeah, good. Because I'm, I'm old now. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to have these old bones. I don't want to get out of the bed. That's good. That's good. Um, let's see. Um, tell, me, tell me about maybe an artist or a performance, choreographer, dancer that made you fall in love with dance. Hmm. For a long time, I was really stuck on, um, like, people what some people call the pioneers of modern dance or <laughs> you look at these modern dance greats mm-hmm. like um, Alvin Ailey, Jose Limon, Paul Taylor, Martha Graham, those people. Now, I really like watching um, Sidra Bell's choreography and Crystal Pite, just dances that are something that I feel like I don't know how they, I don't know how they made it, and I don't know the like logic or the system, but I can see like there's some kind of really in complex, intense like system to creating this that I don't understand, but it makes sense when I'm watching it, and then I'm also feeling when I'm watching it like I don't know how to replicate that, but that's one day like the type of thing that I want to make. Love it. Yeah. So this is one because I'm a big pop culture guy. Mm-hmm. And I do a movie review, and I was saying earlier about yeah. doing the um, the movie screening. Mm-hmm. And all. So I got to ask, 
what is your favorite dance movie where dance is a focal point? Oh, that's funny. Um, I have to mention it because it kind of ties it, ties it, but um, I'm now part of this group that's local in New Orleans called Novak, um, New Orleans Video Accessibility Center, I think, but it's the, no, no, the Novak Film Cohort, and I know nothing about film. My husband is in film, yeah. but I'm learning now through this uh, group, like learning very basic editing, and we're going to make a documentary together. People, they have, ex many of the people in the group have experience. I have none. I don't know if they know, but. Um. I like how you, you like did the whisper thing on a podcast. Yeah. Like, I don't know anything. <laughs> I don't know, but it, one of the things that every time we're in these workshops, people go around and ask, like, what's your favorite movie? Yeah. Which I feel like eventually, I said it last time, I said, I don't have a favorite movie, and the instructor said, not yet. You haven't found it yet. Nice. I was like, oh, okay. So, but dance ones, um, I like uh, the artist, the movie, the, the artist. Nice. It's, it, it has a lot of featured dance in it, but it's like black and white, comes in color. And, um, and it's a silent movie, too. Yeah, yeah. And so, okay, okay. And I let you, you see that. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I like that. And I've been watching a lot of like dancers that are starting to make like dance, like longer dance films, that yeah. dance is the main uh, way to tell the story. Yeah. And I feel like going back to like just recording the um, recording performances and it not being the same as being there. Sure. Like it seems like people are kind of bridging that gap in making dance films where it's like the dance film is the experience and you do get that same experience, you yeah. know. Um, and it's not made for stage. It's just made to be to be seen in that way. So, I like that. Yeah. So. That's kind of it for the for the questions. Cool. And uh, what I want to do here in these, these final moments is, um, one, I want to thank you for being on this podcast. Thank you. And two, I want to encourage and invite you to share with the listeners where they can check you out, where they can check out the New Orleans School of Ballet, any shameless plug that you might have. The sure. floor is yours. Okay. Uh, well, I'll start with uh, the school, New Orleans School of Ballet. You can find... Um, the school on Instagram at NOS Ballet, I believe, um, or just type in New Orleans, New Orleans School of Ballet and you'll find it. And we have uh, spring classes that are starting now, so come take a dance class and you can find out more about the owner, Nikki Hefko. You can look her up online. She has a you know full bio and all that. Um, I'm really glad to be here and I enjoy teaching here, so I have to say that first. For my stuff, you can find me on Instagram at MeaningMakerMover or I have a couple others. You can just look up Lauren Ashley Messina. <laughs> I kind of have stuff just floating around everywhere. Yeah, a few spokes in a fire. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I do have a, a personal website. It's Lauren Ashley with two E's, dance.com. Well, there you have it, folks. It's the Big Easy Rob Lee here. Wanted to thank uh, mover, maker, storyteller, uh, <laughs> Lauren Ashley Messina for coming on to the podcast. And I'm saying there is art, culture, dance, and around your neck of the woods. We just gotta look for it.